Okay, this morning, we're looking at Genesis chapter 21, uh, verses 8 through 21. Genesis 21, 8 through 21. Hopefully, it'll stay on behind me, and you can read it there. Otherwise, if you've got it in your lap, you can follow along uh, that way. Um, Before we read, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, oh, we are so grateful so grateful that, that we can gather together here in this place and do it in a way that's safe and we can lift our voices to you and we can hear each other sing and uh, there's just something about it. Um, we're grateful. And now as we, uh, as we come to your word, uh, we pray, God, that, that you would speak to us. Pray that your voice would be the voice that we hear. We pray that our hearts would be open and our minds would be open, and that you would, you would speak something to us this morning. Change us in just small, even if it's just a small way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Genesis 21, uh, we've been walking through the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and last week we talked about how um, the three messengers came, and they told uh, Sarah and Abraham that uh, she would conceive at 91 years old and give birth to a son. Uh, well, just before this is the recounting of that. Uh, so she gives birth to a son. Uh, they name him Isaac, which means uh, he laughs. That's where we pick up the story uh, this morning. So, I'm starting at verse 8. The child Isaac grew and was weaned. And on the day he was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his own son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He he set them on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I can't watch him die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And an angel of God called to Hagar from the heavens and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him 
from Egypt. We will go that far. So listen, listen to these words. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everyone, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Loneliness is the most terrible poverty. Now, those words came from the heart and out of the mouth of a woman we know of as Mother Teresa, but as I think about those words, they could have just as easily come from the mouth of the woman stranded in the desert of Beersheba. She's a mother. She's alone. She's forgotten. There's no more food. There's no more water. There's no more hope. And her son is is no farther away from her than you can shoot an arrow. He's just a young teenager. Just a young teenager. Maybe 13, maybe 16, maybe somewhere in between. He's just a young teenager dying from heat exhaustion. Starvation. Dehydration. Just sitting there alone under a bush. She's Hagar, and she's crying her guts out. He's Ishmael. He's the son, the firstborn son, of the great man of faith named Abraham. And he's crying his guts out too. The two of them weeping alone, waiting to die. So how did they get there? Like, why did they get there? Who could have made this happen? Who could have let this happen? Well, if we're paying any attention at all to the story, it doesn't take us very long to figure out that, well, Sarah's kind of the one who was the brains behind the whole operation. Abraham's the one who made the whole thing happen. And, and get this, that's not a mistake. God actually let the whole cold-hearted thing go down as smoothly as it did. God let it happen. Oh. Now, you might be thinking, why is this story in there? Like, like, what does this story have to say? Yeah, I feel that too. I mean, this is a hard story, isn't it? I think it's a really hard story. This is one of those stories that we'd love to be able to just rip out of the Bible and pretend it doesn't exist. We'd love to just take like a black Sharpie in our books and, and just sort of black it out so that it's not there. We'd love to digitally erase it somehow, but since we can't do that and it's still in this book, then I think we've got to figure out a way to deal with it. We've got to figure out a way to, to live with it. We've got to figure out a way to sort of make sense of it. Maybe the whole thing raises more questions than it gives us answers anyway. But if we're going to get at the why did this whole thing go down the way it did, I think we just have to start by remembering the story and remembering stories like this. Because I think stories like these are super important stories. We have to, so we're going to walk through it. We're going to remember it. We're going to remember it because if we don't remember it, we all, too, we all too easily forget that every human being on the planet ought to be treated like a human being and not just another animal roaming the planet. If we don't remember stories like these, we all too easily forget that every person on the planet 
ought to be given the same dignity, the same love, the same care that God gave the original two people when he created them, when he breathed life into their lungs, when he said these two people are made in the image of God, and when he saw them, he didn't just call them good. He looked at it when they arrived on creation. He's like, oh man, that's very good. So let's go through this story so we don't forget that. We've been talking about Abraham and Sarah for, for a few weeks now. So I'm hoping the story's fresh in your head, but in case it's not, that's okay. Uh, let's sort of walk through it a little bit, really high level here, okay? So Abraham and Sarah were told by God to pack up their stuff and go to the land that God would show them. God was going to make them into a great nation. He was going to bless them, give them life, give them everything they need so that they could then bless, give life to the world around them. So in faith, what do they do? They go. And immediately along the way, all sorts of things go wrong for them, not the least of which is the fact that they can't seem to have children. Sarah doesn't seem to be able to conceive. She can't have kids. Can't become a great nation if you don't have children. So if you remember, Sarah sort of comes up with this brilliant plan to have Abraham sleep with her slave girl, Hagar. And as we talked about last week, the fact that she's a slave girl means that this probably wasn't consensual at all. He does with her, and unto them a child is born. They name him Ishmael. And then something miraculous happens, something surprising, something unexpected. 91-year-old Sarah conceives. God has brought laughter to me, she says. She gives birth to a son, names him Isaac. Now, now the real story can begin, right? Oh, yeah, the real story can begin now, and they can finally get on with what God wanted to do with them, build a nation through Isaac. They're flying high. They're throwing feasts. They're proud of their new baby boy. But soon they begin to wonder, what about Ishmael? What do we do with Ishmael? I mean, think about it. With him in the house, it must have been a daily reminder of their unfaithfulness. A daily reminder. Like his presence was now mocking them because they decided God wasn't going to do what God had promised to do, so they were going to take things into their own hands, and Ishmael's the result of that. And his presence now in the house with Isaac is now a mocking presence, a daily reminder of their total unwillingness to have faith in the promises of God. So it causes Sarah to become bitter. causes Sarah to become jealous. It causes Sarah to become, to become angry. And then as she watches the two boys playing together, it finally hits her. Ishmael, not Isaac. He's the firstborn son of Abraham. He has the rights to the promised land, the rights to property. Ishmael's going to mess up the whole deal for her own flesh and blood, Isaac. So she goes to Abraham and asks him to do something horrible. Let's just get rid of him. Let's just get rid of them. And then Abraham sort of has a hard time with this. He's distressed. It's his own son. 
but he goes through with it. And apparently, he does it with God's approval. He sends them out with a little water, maybe some bread, sends them out into the desert to, to die. Now, great story, right? Now, I think this is a good place for us to just stop and think for a little bit. Because I think this story is revealing to us. I think it says something pretty sad and pretty strong about, about us human beings. See, I think, I think this story is saying about us that, that we get a little too caught up in deciding for ourselves who's in and who's out. Who's chosen and who's not chosen as if it were up to us. I think we get a little too caught up in choosing who's in and who's out, who's chosen, who's not, who belongs and who doesn't as if it were actually up to us. And we love labeling people as outsiders. And we do it all the time. And once we label people as outsiders, once we label people as different from us, we can then begin excluding them And it becomes easy for us to be hateful toward them. For Sarah, it was one son, Isaac, the child of the promise. God promised them. And then there was Ishmael, the child outside of the scope of God's promise. In her mind, Ishmael was excluded. So it was easy for her to hate. It was easy for her to become angry. It was easy for her to send him out with his mother into the desert to die like an animal. And none of us here would even do that to an animal, would we? I mean, today we see this happening all the time. Did you know that Arabs and Muslims trace their roots back to Ishmael? Did you know that? So we we now have divisions between Christians and Jews and Muslims, divisions, exclusions all around. I think of Palestinian Muslims fighting it out with Israeli Jews on soil they each claim was given to them by God. From each of their perspectives, it's their promised land. Did that fighting, does that fighting that continues today, did it start way back when Abraham banished Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert to die? Divisions, exclusions. I think of all the other ways we like to divide ourselves up. We like to exclude Black, white, Latino, Asian, Arab, Indian, and on and on and on and on. Racism is a division we use to exclude. Whole systems have been built on racism. We've got red states and blue states, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, right wing, left wing. Of course, the church is really good at dividing people up as well. Divisions, exclusions, we label. We do it all the time. And once we label people, once we take that first little step there, it becomes easy for us to judge, easy for us to hate, easy for us to exclude, easy for us to say those people over there must not be chosen, therefore they don't belong. We forget so soon and so often that their chosenness isn't in our hands. It isn't up to us. God is the one who's sovereign. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who saves. Who are we to pretend? Who are we to pretend that we get to decide who's in and who's out? 
So these are uncomfortable things. They're hard. I get that. I understand that. These thoughts are hard for me to, to just say, to, to breathe out into the air. It's, this isn't a happy thing, but it's reality. It happens all the time. Here's a story in the Old Testament about dividing things up, about excluding a few weeks ago, we were talking about it in the New Testament when Paul was talking about Jews and Gentiles and how do we make this work between us. It's literally all over. So here's another one. It's uncomfortable, and we're still dealing with it today. But what comes next in the story might be the most uncomfortable thing. As Abraham takes some time to sort of think about what he's going to do, whether or not he's going to send these two people out into the desert to die, Ishmael gets a visit from God. What does God say? God says this, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. What, what, what? Wait a minute. Muslims trace their roots back to Ishmael. I don't get it. What's going on here? Why don't we ever talk about this? So why did God do it? Why did God let Abraham banish Hagar and Ishmael, send them out into the desert to die? Why did God do it? Did God condone the mistreatment of others? Did, does God then encourage us and give us permission to exclude certain people or groups of people, or is there something else? Maybe God's action in this little episode of the life of Abraham and Sarah comes from the same place his action in the conception and birth of Isaac came from. In other words, it came from the place of grace. Think of it. Maybe God knew that Sarah was angry and as jealous and bitter as a person could be. Maybe God knew that Sarah was going to get rid of the two of them no matter what, one way or another. And maybe God knew that Abraham would be absolutely powerless to stop her. So, maybe God let Abraham banish them into the wilderness because God knew that he would take care of them and love them better than Abraham and Sarah would or ever could. And then he does just that. He hears the cries of a mother and a boy facing death. He opens her eyes, shows them a well, and gives them life. The forgotten ones are finally remembered by the creator of the universe. Oh! So all of this gets me thinking. You know what I think God would rather have us do? Instead of judging, excluding, and kicking out. I think God would rather have us love people and take care of their needs no matter who they are. Instead of judging, excluding, and kicking out, and drawing lines, and dividing things up, I think God would rather have us love people and and meet their needs, whoever they might be. That's what I think. I'm wondering, have you heard the parable of the big red dog? It's one of Jesus' lesser-known parables. Actually, it's not. It could be, though. The big red dog. Do you know him, Clifford? You know Clifford, the big red dog? He's the dog that grew bigger than a house. 
how did that happen? Can I tell you the story? Paraphrase it for you, in case you've forgotten. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a young girl named Emily Elizabeth. Her neighbor had a dog who had a litter of puppies. Her neighbor wanted to give Emily Elizabeth one, so invited Emily Elizabeth over, and she came over and picked the smallest dog that was there. And the neighbor said, oh, you don't want to pick that dog. That's just the runt of the litter. He's always going to be small and sick. Emily Elizabeth chose him anyway. When they brought little runt dog Clifford home, they found out that his collar was too big, even though it was the smallest collar they could find. Still too big. His little doggy dish that he would eat out of, even though it was the smallest one they could find, it was still too big. He kept getting lost that first day all over the house, even inside of Daddy's shoes. That's how small this little runt dog Clifford really was. Dad told Emily Elizabeth that he's so small and weak, he's probably not going to make it through the winter. That made Emily Elizabeth sad. That night when she went to bed, she put Clifford on the pillow next to her head. And she told little runt dog Clifford that she wanted him to grow up big and strong. And then she told him that she loved him. The next morning, Clifford seemed to be a little bit bigger. His collar was no longer too big. His food dish was no longer too big. And he wasn't getting lost in the house anymore. And then all throughout the day, he kept growing and growing and growing and growing until at the end of the day, he was bigger than a house. And as the song goes, her love made Clifford grow so big that the Howards had to leave their home. They had to sell their house and move to the countryside. Little runt dog Clifford becomes gigantic, bigger than a house, all because of the love of a little girl. That's not just a children's story. None of those stories like that are children's stories if we adults are actually paying attention because these stories get at what actually makes the world go around. These stories get at what holds all things together. You see, love will do that. You know it, and I know it too. Love will make you into something, into something much bigger, grander, more miraculous than you ever thought you would be or even could be. That's what love does. Instead of judging, excluding, and kicking out, I think God would rather have us love people no matter who they are and leave the choosing up to Him. If you think about it, that's how Jesus lived his life when he walked on this planet. This is what it's like to read an Old Testament story with Jesus in mind. That's exactly how Jesus lived his life. Instead of judging, excluding, and kicking out, he loved and cared for the needs of people. In fact, he loved and cared for the most despicable people in his world, the most despicable, at least according to the religious people. And then he did the unthinkable. He gave up his life for them. And you know what else I think? I think God 
would have rather seen Abraham and Sarah love and care for Hagar and Ishmael, but knew they wouldn't, so he did it for them. And I can't help but wonder if the world would be a different place today, if we'd literally have a different history and a different present, if only Sarah and Abraham had trusted that God would keep his promises to them through Isaac, even with Ishmael and Hagar in the house. I can't help but wonder what the world would be like today if Sarah and Abraham had loved Hagar and Ishmael and showed them the kind of grace and acceptance that God showed them when he literally plucked the two of them out of obscurity, seemingly at random, told them he was going to bless them so that they would bless the world. Don't you wonder? All of that to say this. I think we can trust this book. I think we can stand firm on the promises that we find in this book. We can stand firm on God's promises to us and still show love and grace to people we think are living outside of the scope of God's promises. God did it. Jesus did it. Maybe we can too. You know, maybe the whole point of this story isn't about who's in and who's out anyway. Maybe the whole point of this story isn't about who's chosen and who's not chosen, who belongs and who doesn't belong. Maybe this is just a story about who is loved. For God so loved the world. That's what this book says. That's what Jesus embodied. Maybe we ought to embody that too. So who are the forgotten ones in our world? Who are the excluded ones? Who are they in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, where you work? Maybe today, maybe today, maybe today is a good day to start showing them some love. Because who knows, maybe if enough of us get in on this, maybe we can change the course of history and where we're headed now. Maybe if enough churches get in on this, maybe we can just change the course of history, change where we're headed now. Who knows? Wouldn't you love to try? Let's pray. God, we are grateful. Grateful for uh, the challenge you give us in this book, for the way you speak to us, for the way you pierce us, for the way you make us uncomfortable sometimes. And we ask, oh God, that you would open our hearts, that you would show us the people in this world that, that we ought to embrace, that we ought to not just embrace, but we ought to we ought to go after and be intentional about. Change our hearts. Make us new. Make us more loving. Make us bigger and greater and grander and more miraculous than we ever thought we could be. So that the world will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.